It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey everybody, it's Drags and it's Wednesday, May 15th, time for episode 298 of Patriot's Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com and as always, follow us on Twitter at PatriotsCLNS. Welcoming back this week, Evan Lazar of clnsmedia.com, back from a well-deserved respite, I might add, covering the NFL and the Patriots. How you doing, Evan? How was uh, the mini break? It was good. It was much needed. I was burnt out there after the draft. Couldn't watch another second of film or write anything else until I took a little bit of a break. So I didn't write or read anything for like 10 days and it could not have gone better. That is wonderful to hear because I cannot think of anybody who deserved more of a break uh, than you did. You did uh, honest to God, you did an outstanding job covering the draft for us and uh, well-deserved R&R. We're back and nothing like a little Robert Kraft story to uh, welcome you back. I want to put this one to bed, so to speak. I know that's an awful pun, but um, best I could do. Uh, Robert Kraft, uh, Patriots owner, could be off the hook legally in Massage Gate, a West Palm Beach court judge ruled Monday. Prosecutors cannot you secretly recorded a video allegedly showing the owner uh, engaging in massage parlor sex. This strikes a serious blow to the case, charging him with soliciting prostitutes. Two things at work here, Evan. The football side, the NFL side, and the legal side. I think um, eventually this case is going to get dropped, dismissed, and what have you. Um, but in terms of how the NFL views this, because he, Robert Kraft is, and his attorneys have not come out and denied the activity. They've just denied that anything illegal took place. Where do, where do you think all of this is going to wash out? Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the league, as we know here in New England, it's a very different investigation than what the law says, right? I mean, it just because it's not illegal or the case is thrown out doesn't mean that Bob Kraft is going to get out uh, from under this, from the eyes of the league and the eyes of Roger Goodell. So I think that he's still looking at something. Now, I think the kind of, you know, the benchmark for something that was seriously content, uh, conduct detrimental to the league is Jim say the Colts owner. He's pulled over with narcotics and tens of thousands of dollars in his sports car. And I think he got six games for that. He also had, you know, had to go to rehab and had serious drug and alcohol addiction issues. So there was a lot of issues there at play with Irsay. Now with Kraft, I think that this has got to be, you know, a fraction of that. But I think the biggest thing is, Trags, is that opening night, 
the banner ceremony, the Sunday night football game against Pittsburgh. That's the game I think that the league is going to want to suspend Bob Kraft for, and Bob Kraft is obviously going to want to be there to hang that banner. So I think that, that if it's a one-game suspension, I guess is what I'm getting at, because I think that that's one, two games is probably what we're looking at here. That's, I think, going to be the biggest battle between the league and Bob Kraft is does that suspension include that banner ceremony and that opening kickoff game? On, well, it's actually the Sunday night game this year, that Sunday night football game against Pittsburgh in week one. I don't know. I... You know, and we're not going to know because no, Robert Kraft just is not going to speak about that. I'd be surprised, almost shocked, if he spoke about this in training camp and yeah. if a reporter even got the chance to ask the question uh, or the issue you just raised is to whether or not uh, how would Robert Kraft feel if he were suspended for that one game, the banner-raising ceremony. Would that be something he'd be willing to take? My guess is no. Uh, he would appeal that. And then take, yeah. and like, and, you know, pull a Tom Brady into Flakegate and take whatever suspension comes down the, down the pike. But he wants to be there for that one night. I, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, I would say that opening weekend, I mean, yeah, they always have the shot of Bob Kraft in his owner's box with Jonathan sitting next to him at some point in most games. I would say, you know, it has to certainly in the big games and in the playoff games, but, that's, as an owner, that's kind of the pinnacle, right, is raising that banner in your home stadium. Uh, that's the game that you want to be present for. That would be a pretty big deal, I would think, to any owner of any sports team to be suspended for something like this that's going on off the field for that type of game. I think that that's kind of, for an owner, I would think, other than maybe getting suspended for like a playoff game or the Super Bowl, that would be like the worst possible case scenario, I would think. Any active contrition here? where he comes out and, um, you know, apologizes to the fans uh, any more so than we would already expect? I don't think so. I mean, I think the biggest thing, and you know, kind of where I stood from this in the beginning, was just that, you know, the best thing for the Patriots as a football team and, and even as an organization is to put this behind them. So if he can get this case thrown out, I, I don't you know, I'm not a lawyer, so you're not going to get too far into the weeds of the legal, you know, implications of all of this, but thank God. <laughs> but in terms of, you know, moving forward here, if I was the Bob Kraft, I would want to put this as far in the rear view mirror as possible before week one. I would want nothing to do with this during the season, if at all possible. So I would assume that if this case gets thrown out once the league punishment comes down, if it's just a slap on the wrist, if it's just a, a heavy fine or something like that, which is, I think is probably the most fair scenario, then I think you just kind of let this thing go. And before we wrap it up here, how are fans going to accept Robert Kraft? If you had to guess right huh. now, sitting here on May 15th, how do you think fans will embrace him. I mean, we've seen him out in public at a couple of Celtics playoff games, it's right? But, crazy. but I, I want to get your, your, your opinion on how you think fans will judge that. Yeah, I was at, I, I think it was again, one of the Indiana games, uh, that I was at for the Celtics Pacers game that he was at. And I, I mean, it was like a standing ovation of epic proportions for this guy. And you could feel, I, I felt like at least, that it was more than just about the fact that they had just won the Super Bowl. Like, it was kind of like a lot of these fans were rising to their feet and, and giving him this standing ovation as, like, a sign of support for knowing what was going on with him legally. So 
from everything that you, you know, and I know that Twitter and sports radio and all that stuff is oftentimes a vocal minority and not actually what the masses think. Could agree more with from you. the Yeah, from the most part, from everything that I hear, a lot of Patriots fans, diehard Patriots fans are, are directly behind him on this, are, are supporting him and are going to be very supportive of him. And I think that if he's there, I think he's going to get a huge, huge ovation, uh, you know, if he's at that banner ceremony for sure. Speaking with Evan Lazar covering the Patriots for CLNS Media. Hey, everybody, I want to tell you about the future of mobile investing. It's called Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks. ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started. That means you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood also makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections such as the 100 most popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notification for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of Patriots Beat a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up now at patriots.robinhood.com. That's patriots.robinhood.com. Speaking again with Evan Lazar covering the Patriots for CLNS Media. Follow him on Twitter at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. On to football now. Evan, our favorite topics. Thank God. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> amen to that. Uh, how was Steven Guskowski on Tuesday? He spoke for the first time since uh, signing his two-year, $8.5 million contract. Yeah, I think that, you know, he sounded like, and I'm just looking at his, his, uh, spot track contract page here. You know, fourth round pick in 2006, obviously replacing Adam Vinatieri, and now he's been here for 13 years. And that's, that's quite the run. And I, today he seemed a little bit nostalgic, I would say. Kind of just looking back on the fact that he has been with one team and just kind of how successful his career as a kicker has been. I understand that he has some key misses in recent years in the playoffs that people will point to some missed extra points, some missed field goals in the, in the Eagles Super Bowl, certainly in, in last year against the Rams. But the point is, is that he's been one of the more accurate kickers and one of the more consistent kickers in the league for the better part of a decade now. And really in New England, you couldn't ask for a better transition from Adam Vinatieri than what you've gotten with Steven Guskowski. He said something that I thought was really kind of funny and also interesting, that his kids are three years old, and I can't remember how old he said his oldest was, but his oldest has been to five Super Bowls, and his three-year-old has already been to three. <laughs> so that's... I mean, that's pretty incredible in terms of career longevity and obviously success. So I think that he's, uh, you know, very happy that he kind of said that 
once he realized that, you know, the money was really going to be the same no matter where he went, that uprooting his entire family where he really has roots here in New England. He, you know, he mentioned if this had happened, you know, a decade ago, let's say when he was a free agent, he's never actually been a free agent until this point. The Patriots have franchised him a couple of times and reached contract extensions with him before he hit free agency. If he had been a free agent, let's say in 2010, for example, or 2009, right when his rookie deal expired, maybe things would have been different, right? You know, maybe he would have been more apt to moving, but because his family is so tied down here in New England, it just was really from the get-go where he always wanted to be. Is he a Patriots Hall of Famer? You know, I think that the, the thing is about with him, and I mentioned it with some of the misses that he's had, I think there is a, a minority of fans of, again, a vocal minority that think that he's a little bit overrated. And that fan vote, I think is tough, right? You know, it's, Great it's, point. it's not something that they're not voting on. It's not a committee that's voting. It's fans. And I think that a lot of fans are going to think about the missed extra point in Denver in 2015, the missed extra point in the Atlanta Super Bowl. He missed a kick against Philly. He missed a kick last year against the Rams and so on and so forth that, you know, maybe he's going to have a tough time getting in. But actually, when you look at his career in the playoffs, he has made more kicks at this point and also missed fewer kicks than Adam Vinatieri did in the postseason in Adam Vinatieri's career with New England. He has a higher field goal percentage in the playoffs than Vinatieri, uh, career field goal percentage. I would never have guessed that. Right. The issue is is that Vinatieri has those iconic kicks, the snowball kicks. 36, all of the other big kicks that he's made that stand out to people. But actually, Gaskowski's been a better playoff kicker just in terms of uh, accuracy than Vinatieri. So it's it really, when you start to look at the numbers, you could almost make a pretty good argument that Gaskowski has maybe had a more successful career than Adam Vinatieri in New England. All right. I think one thing Gaskowski has done over his career very well um, is handling kickoff duties in terms of yeah. directionally. But now you enter Jake Bailey. Now, oh, uh, yeah. obviously, Jake Bailey wa- was drafted 163rd overall by the Patriots and in the fifth round. And he's a punter out of Stanford, but he can handle long kicking duties. I don't think Jake Bailey makes the roster, right? I mean, they love Ryan Allen and... Um, you gotta think that Steven Guskowski just signed a two-year contract, uh, for the eight and a half million dollars. Why, or how does Jake Bailey figure in to, uh, Steven Guskowski's future in New England? Yeah, I think it's, it's really an interesting question because from both the perspective of Ryan Allen is a pretty darn good punter in his own right and certainly earned his keep in the Super Bowl last year where he really kicked the crap out of the ball for four quarters. And then you also put into the fact that Ryan Allen is Guskowski's holder. So if you cut Allen and keep Bailey, you're also changing the field goal operation and top of t- changing the punter. But I also think that at the same time, Guskowski was actually asked a good question by Phil Perry today about this very issue about kickoffs. And one of the things that he did mention was that you only have so many kicks in your leg at 
kickoff level because what you're doing at kickoff is you're really maxing out your leg strength. You're, you're kicking full bore. He compared it to like going to the driving range and just teeing off on the, on the driving range for a golfer. So you only have so many kicks in your arsenal. And he actually mentioned Goskowski that you can't practice kickoffs as often as you practice field goals because you're kicking the ball so hard. So I think that there is some element to this of you could actually extend Guskowski's career even longer and maybe actually make him a better distance field goal kicker if you took away some of those kickoff responsibilities and gave them to Jake Bailey. I think the one thing that's interesting, and I know this is going to really irk some fans, but I wouldn't put it past Bill Belichick to carry two punters on the team. That'd be hilarious. See, I I think... You know, Bill Belichick loves to tweak conventional thinking in the NFL. To carry three kickers would be uh, so unconventional and out there. It'd be hilarious. Yeah, I just wouldn't put it past him. They spent a fifth-round pick on this guy. I mean, I know that Nick Casario came out right after the pick and obviously was asked, like, what the hell are you doing spending a fifth-round pick on a punter when you have a really good punter already on the team? And he simply said it's competition. We'll see what happens. He basically made it sound like if we cut him, we cut him, you know, and and really didn't say that it was really going to be any sweat off their back if Ryan Allen ends up winning the competition and they end up cutting Jake Bailey. But Jake Bailey is not making it back to the practice squad if they cut him. No, that's the, uh, the next question I was going to ask. Yeah, no, he's not going to. Most teams, uh, from everything that has been out there and everything that I've heard, had two punters with draftable grades. They're Jake Bailey and Wasniewski, who also got drafted out of Utah. Those two guys were the two punters that a lot of teams, pretty much the consensus, are two guys that were going to get drafted at some point in the draft a few weeks ago. So, some team that has a, a poor punter situation is going to pick up Bailey, and he's going to be their punter in 2019. So he's going to punt somewhere in the league uh, next year, whether it's in New England or not. I just wouldn't be surprised. They only gave it Ryan Allen a one-year contract if they have Jake Bailey as kind of a backup punter slash kickoff specialist, maybe, and they kind of usher in him into the you know lo- into the punting role beyond 2019 and, and take over for Ryan Allen in 2020. I know that's going to drive people nuts if they cut, you know, let's say a wide receiver or one of these corners that they really like over a punter, but I, it just seems like something that Belichick would do because he cares way more about this than other people do. You know, Bill Belichick listening to this podcast um, has got to be smiling, right? I mean, we yeah. just spent how long talking about kick Stephen Guskowski and punters and kickers and the possibility of keeping uh, three kickers hey. on a roster? It's a big part of the game. I know that people don't want to talk about it. I think it's BS and and all that kind of stuff. But field position, when you get into a game, just like the Super Bowl, you really don't have to go that far back to the last game the Patriots played. When you get into a game like that, that is so much about field position and and really, you know, a field position battle and those hidden yards and all that kind of stuff, having a good punter is, is really key. And I think they have a good one with Ryan Allen, but it's not just Jake Bailey guy. He's got a booming leg. He can, you know, control the ball really well. He is a kickoff specialist. He's a very good athlete too. He's, he ran like a four, seven, three 40 at the combine. So there's a lot of different elements to this and just, you know, about what we want to see in terms of roster construction come, you know, August or September 1st or whenever that cutdown date is. Speaking with Evan Lazar covering the Patriots for CLNS Media, 
Okay, enough kicker talk. Nikhil, <laughs> Nikhil Harry leading the core of revamped huge wide receivers for yeah. the New England Patriots. Uh, first of all, what do you make of uh, what uh, Nikhil had to say last week, uh, talking about Tom Brady and uh, saying that he, uh, Nikhil Harry, is the type of player that wants to get better, wants to get coached hard, and he wants high expectations not only from the coaches but somebody like Tom Brady? Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, he's saying all the right things. I spoke to his wide receivers coach a few weeks ago, and he mentioned that too, that, you know, Nikhil's the type of guy in practice that if he drops a ball or if he runs a route wrong, he goes right back in the line and does it again and gets it right the second time. Or, you know, he makes sure he does it. If he drops one ball in practice, that's the last drop he's going to have for the rest of that practice, that kind of thing. He's got that kind of attention to detail. He's got the makeup, and, and he kind of walks the walk of, of what you want in a Patriots player overall, whether it's a receiver or linebacker or whatever so I think that all of those things are good signs about him you know I the thing I put out on Twitter today that I think is really the most interesting thing about the whole thing is that the Patriots are kind of bucking a trend right now which is obviously very Bill Belichick-esque with these big receivers the league has really started to focus and, and prioritize the shiftier receivers that create tons of separation guys like Antonio Brown and Tyreek Hill and Stefan Diggs these are the guys that are kind of creating this wave of new receivers where a guy like Hollywood Brown who's 165 170 pounds can be the first receiver off the board because everybody watches him and thinks of him as like a guy like Antonio Brown or I've heard a lot of Deshaun Jackson comparisons and that's like kind of where the receivers are going in the league and the Patriots you know a few picks later decide to go with a six foot three monster at the position who is more of a guy that is going to win with bodies around him and not create tons of separation and certainly has some separation concerns so a lot of the receivers that the Patriots have brought in Dontrell Inman the most recent one Demarius Thomas obviously Josh Gordon last year you go down the list are all these bigger guys that maybe don't separate as much as some of these other teams, a lot of these other teams are completely throwing out the big body receivers and going purely with pure separators. And the Patriots don't seem to be doing that. What about the Anquan Bolden comp? Yeah, I love that comp. I think, you know, it's hard not to love that comp. I think if this guy turns into Anquan Bolden, then the Patriots got a really good player. I think the one thing that, you know, stands out about that comp is that Anquan Bolden did two things really well. One of them is that he routes from everywhere you know you can move him inside you can move him outside I think that's what the Patriots are really going to do with Nikhil Harry they're going to move him all around the formation try to get him into favorable matchups try to get him against linebackers and safeties in the middle of the field in zone coverage the other thing that Anquan Bolden did was he really came alive after the catch and was a guy that even though he didn't run very fast at the combine had underrated skill with as a ball carrier and I think that that's really all these comps that are being thrown out Des Bryant and Quan Bolden the biggest issue that I have with trying to find a comp for Nikhil Harry is that he's at six foot three one of the best yards after the catch guy that I've seen at that size since I really started scouting players there's not a lot of guys at his size that move as well as he does with the ball in his hands and can really create after the catch as well as he does so I think that that unique skill set is is very suitable to the Patriots I like to pick a lot I just think that you know, like I said, the most interesting thing about it is is that 
the Patriots are taking a guy that doesn't create tons of separation that really wins more in a phone booth when the rest of the league is going the complete opposite direction. And again, I know you mentioned this a couple of minutes ago, but when you take a look at what they have uh, in terms of big receivers in Nikhil Harry, Dontrell Inman, and Demarius Thomas, yeah, they have remade their wide receiver position for better or for worse going into 2019. And 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 I think I asked this uh, of you a couple of weeks ago. Somebody told me that Tom Brady doesn't necessarily throw the jump ball very well or very often. It's just yeah. not something Brady does. And I'm just curious to, as to whether or not you think that's a, a way that the, the Patriots might be going on the perimeter of their offense. Yeah, he did it a little bit more with Josh Gordon to try to get Josh Gordon involved, but the jump ball inherently, you know, they call it a 50-50 ball, but when you really start to work out the math, it's probably less in favor of the receiver than 50-50. It's probably more like 35-65. It's just an inefficient play. Right. It's not something that you can rely upon to move up and down the field consistently. So I think that it's not necessarily jump balls. And one of the things that stood out to me about I asked last year, remember when uh, I think it was Jalen Ramsey said that Rob Gronkowski has, you know, was slow and had lost a step and basically went off about Gronk before that Jacksonville game. I remember that. And I asked a bunch of the Patriots defensive backs in the locker room the next day, you know, what makes covering Gronk difficult? Because I think we could all have see that over, you know, the stretch of last season, he was not necessarily running away from anybody. And one of the things that I think it was Eric Rowe actually said to me, which I really stuck with me, was that the precision between Gronk and Brady, where Brady could throw the ball in the exact perfect spot where Gronk could use his body to shield the defender and reach out and make the catch is, was so, they were so on point with that and it was so precise that it was almost impossible to stop when they got going. And that is, I think, where they're trying to go with Nikhil Harry. They lost a guy in Gronk who's probably, I think, for his money, the best contested catch receiver in the league or one of the best contested catch receivers in the league. And they needed to replace that skill set. They knew that they needed to replace that. So they went out and they got a bunch of big guys. And either than Nikhil Harry, even though he's not going to play tight end, is going to replace a lot of that kind of stuff that Gronk would do over the middle of the field with that precision with Brady. I think that that's the direction that they're kind of going with it. So almost, you know, in a backdoor way, I guess I would call it. Nikhil Harry is almost your Rob Gronkowski replacement and not one of the tight ends like uh, Matt Lacoste or Safarian Jenkins or Ben Watson that are going to play the position in a more traditional way like Gronk did. He's going to be the guy, I think, that's going to replace a lot of the skill set that Gronk left behind. Speaking with Evan Lazar covering the Patriots for CLNSmedia.com. Okay. No specific replacement for Brian Flores, who ironically was never, never given the DC title here <laughs> yeah. in New England, Evan, um, officially before leaving to take over as head coach in Miami. We thought we saw the replacement of Greg Schiano, right? Before he suddenly yeah. left weeks ago for personal reasons. So it's going to be Belichick calling the plays with help from. Well, they have a couple of different, really, they, they have a pretty loaded, in terms of, I don't know, you know, we'll see what these guys amount to, but there's a lot of guys, there's a lot of names on the defensive staff at this point. Defensive line, we got Brett Bielema, uh, we got Demarcus Covington and Gerard Mayo on linebackers, uh, we got Steve Belichick at safety, 
I think that the biggest thing, though, you know, to go back to the play calling duties. On one hand, I don't want to make too big of a of a deal out of it because I think that defensive football is reactionary more than it is offensive football. So I don't know how important it necessarily it is the guy that's relaying the play calls into the defensive huddle. Because once you get lined up and once you see what the offensive formation is, things change, right? And, and you're going to have a guy out there wearing the green dot or calling the signals, whether it's Dante Hightower or Devin McCourty in the secondary or whoever it may be that they're going to change some things once they see what's going on. And, and, and more or less, you kind of have a game plan going into the game with, you know, certain sets of coverages and pressure schemes that you're going to use. And you don't really, you know, it's not like offense where you could have one of 70 different play calls, for example, right? You know, you kind of have a set game plan for that week. So I don't want to make a too big deal out of it. But I think that and you would read tracks, I, I hope, is that, if one of these coaches, whether it's Drod Mayo or Brett Bielema or even Steve Belichick, could eventually take the play calling duties away from Bill Belichick, I think that Bill Belichick would tell you himself that that would make him a very happy camper. I don't think that he wants to do this full time. I don't think this is something that he wants to be distracted with for the entire season. I think he's actually hoping, and not you know necessarily that if he if he does have to do it, he does have to do it. But I think that he's hoping that if one of these guys is going to step up and take that role uh, by the horns and really show him that they can do it. Well, and for those who are not overly familiar with Brett Bielema, he comes from Arkansas, um, yeah. head coach of the Razorbacks for the last five seasons, but before that uh, at Wisconsin, and uh, he's part of the Kirk Ferentz tree, right? I mean, he uh, yeah. had experience as linebackers coach at Iowa, so it's somebody that Belichick's very familiar with, um, and... Also, what's interesting about Bielma is that he replaces the duties of one of my favorites on that staff, and you know uh, who I'm talking about, Brendan Daly. I think Brendan Daly is eventually going to make, if he wants it, uh, a great NFL head coach. I love the guy's attitude. I love his intensity. uh, And that's who Bielma is going to replace, you know, coaching the defensive line. I just find the whole coaching staff – on the defensive side of the ball to be fascinating because there's so many new faces. You know, the other name that I forgot to mention was Mike Pellegrino. Oh, that's right. Defensive backs. Defensive backs, coaching mostly corners. Pellegrino is a guy that has really skyrocketed. He's a young kid. I think he's like 26 years old. He's like around my age. He's really skyrocketed up this coaching staff really quickly. And to get a position at that age at 26 is pretty remarkable. So they have some youth on this staff. I know some people have made some jokes about how Tom Brady is older than the entire Patriots defensive coaching staff besides Bielema, I believe. But I, I think that, you know, we get caught up a lot in, in the coaching staff and it's important. But I think that the main thing is, is that the techniques and the system and all that kind of stuff, none of that's going to change, right? You know, they're still going to coach the corners to do the same things and so on and so forth. But I think that really, like I said, that I'm looking at, especially in the preseason, when I think that Belichick will allow some of these guys an opportunity to call plays during some of the preseason games. I think that Gerard Mayo is going to get a chance. I think Brett Bielema is going to get a chance. If one of those guys stands out, I wouldn't be surprised if Belichick passes it off because, honestly, I think that he said in the past that the best thing to do as a head coach is to delegate and to really be more of like a CEO where you're overseeing all elements and you have your hand in a little bit of everything and you're not so hyper-focused on one thing. I think a lot of coaches you know, would say this 
unless you have a guy like a situation, for example, and the Patriots have a little bit of this with Josh McDaniels as the OC and, and Ivan Fears and, and Skarnickia on the offensive side of the ball. They got a ton of experience along with Tom Brady on the offensive side of the ball. But I think the, I, there's two different situations that you can go with it. You can go with what the Rams have which is obviously Sean McVay really handling the offense and Wade Phillips handling the defense. Now, Wade Phillips is a head coach being doubled as a defensive coordinator. Maybe you can make that argument, too, I suppose, with McDaniels, with the offense coordinator, with the Patriots. But the other approach is to have kind of like a godfather, like what Belichick has been over the years, where he's just kind of overseeing everything, and he's all three phases kind of go through Belichick. They still probably can, but if you're kind of caught up in calling defensive plays, there's a little less of that, I think, than maybe what he would certainly like. So I think that really Gerard Mayo uh, or Bielema, I would look at as two guys that maybe have a chance here to kind of separate themselves from the pack in the preseason and maybe take on some of those play-calling duties. Chad O'Shea being replaced by Joe Judge. Um, Judge uh, moving on to handle uh, wide receivers. Um, And I'm curious to get your your read on that and how that's going to work out because I think it's interesting because several of his uh, wide receivers could wind up in special teams. So it seems like it's it's a pretty – wise synergy there to kind of make use of guys that you're going to see a lot in special teams and you might as well coach them um, at the wide receiver position, assuming that judge can handle the technique. And we, I think that's a safe assumption. Yeah. I think the interesting thing, this is all really fascinating to me because the Patriots, one thing that is stands out about them more than any other team is how much they cross train these guys. Like, you know, so Joe Judge, for example, has never coached wide receivers, but he's been trained in all the wide receiver techniques that the Patriots are going to use, all the routes that those guys are going to run, all the little nuances, because Belichick wants to make sure that everybody can do everything on his staff. They, more than any team, prioritize cross-training, and it shows when they kind of have this turnover where they can kind of just plug guys into spots and be fine. I think the big thing about Joe Judge, though, is that also makes it fascinating, is they just drafted Nikhil Harry in the first round and he's got to have a coach you know he's got to have somebody in his ear that is you know getting him on the right track that's making him progress as a player as a football player in the kind of the details of route running and different he's going to have to work on certainly his route releases and, and some of the other things that come with being a prof- professional receiver so Judge has a lot of responsibility on his hands. Now, Cameron Accord, who's the assistant special teams coordinator, he's been with the team for a couple of years, and he is a guy that I think is going to certainly take on more responsibility on special teams. Maybe Judge is more handling things on game day on special teams, but Accord is really with the special teamers a little bit more at practice while Judge is with the receivers. Accord is held in very high uh, regard with the Patriots coaching staff and is a guy that's seen as kind of like a rising star uh, for the Pats in that respect as well so another one of those guys along I think with with Mike Pellegrino who has a really bright future in football is Cam Accord so they're in good hands with there and what you mentioned about kind of the special teams kind of holding over to what you do at receiver is really true one of the things that certainly is kind of a 
one-for-one example is punt coverage. If you're a gunner on the punt team, and you can ask Matthew Slater about this, it's a lot, very, very similar to being one-on-one with a corner on the perimeter. The different moves that you're going to have to make to get off of that block is very, very similar to beating a press release, a press coverage, and, and running a release to beat press coverage. A lot of guys, you know, you will go down to like the senior bowl or some of these scouting uh, events, they'll put guys on special teams to and put them at gunner and see how these receivers can get away from the blockers in a gunner position because it's so similar to beating tight man-to-man coverage on the outside. So there is a lot of crossover in that respect. And, you know, obviously that's kind of why Matthew Slater's technical position on the roster is wide receiver. So there is a lot of crossover there. I think that it's really fascinating, though, that these coaches can all kind of wear multiple hats and, and they're kind of seamlessly transitioned from doing a lot of these different jobs. But I would say that Pellegrino, Accord, uh, there's some other guys too, uh, that, that I'm forgetting that are certainly going to be rising stars that you're going to hear a little bit more about this season. What about Kyle Rudolph? Vikings couldn't work out a long-term deal and now it appears that, uh, he's definitely going to be on the market. Uh, with the Patriots having done what they did there to the receivers core, does that preclude them going out and making a trade for Rudolph? What's interesting about Rudolph is that it doesn't sound like he has much of a market right now in terms of a trade. And the the Vikings made a move. I think they restructured it was Eric Kendricks' contract today in order to – they're right up against the cap. They just paid Kirk Cousins. They just paid Stephon Diggs. They paid right. – Everson Griffin, they paid Adam Thielen, and I can go down the list of all the guys that they've just paid. So they are right up against the cap. They've basically maxed out. So they need to make every little dime count to kind of get some wiggle room here against the cap to even sign their draft picks. They couldn't sign their first-round pick, Garrett Bradbury, until they made some moves to get under the cap to make to fit his rookie contract on a rookie wage scale, that's when you know you're up against the cap. So there was some things going on there in Minnesota. Now it sounds like, you know, the market for Rudolph really for a trade partner is really not there because a lot of these teams know that the Vikings are in kind of cap jail, whatever term you want to use. So they know they have no leverage. They know that they just drafted Irv Smith in the second round, and he's probably going to be about as pro-ready as any of these tight ends were, besides maybe Hawkinson. So he's going to step right in and play probably on day one for them in their offense. So what leverage do they really have in the trade for Kyle Rudolph? I think that Kyle Rudolph eventually does get traded, but I don't think that it's going to be anywhere near the compensation that people are thinking. And uh, and I would say that you know you might be able to get Kyle Rudolph more towards the end of training camp and uh, right before the season, right at that roster cut down. They might cut him altogether. That's kind of the the buzz recently is that they might not even be able to find a trade partner for Kyle Rudolph, and he might end up being released. And that's part amazing of that, to me. Yeah. That- yeah. I mean, I guess they had to make their, their I mean, they, they chose uh, to make Adam Thielen a, you know, a priority. And Thielen's yeah. actually a lot older than a lot of people, I think, realize. He's been yeah, around, he's 26, 27, Adam yeah. Thielen. Um, plus, obviously, they uh, went out and got their quarterback uh, before right. last season, um, and Kirk Cousins. Um, they've they've spent a lot of money, as you mentioned, um, and they are right up against the cap. It just it's amazing to me that they would let a guy, a talent like Kyle Rudolph, go. But I guess that's one of the things they had to make a decision on. Yeah, certainly. If you're gonna 
decide between Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs or Kyle Rudolph, you're taking the two receivers all day, every day. Yeah, sure. And a, and a big thing about it is too, is, is Rudolph's cap hit, which is sitting at around 7.625 million right now, which is a pretty hefty cap hit for a tight end. That's not, you know, a Gronk or a Travis Kelsey or a Zach Hertz or someone like that. That's a solid cap number for a tight end. And there's some, there's a few bonus structures here that are knock it down just a tad, you know, for a guy that's for a team that's acquiring him in the trade. So it's going to be closer to like seven million dollars in cap hit for the team that acquires him. But that's a lot of money, especially this time of year, where the teams aren't necessarily looking to add that much to their cap, even though it's only for one year. So I think that you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up getting a day three pick for him when all, all things kind of come to fruition here. But if they decide that they don't want him on their roster or can't afford to have him on their roster for 2019, I mean, he could be one of those veteran cap casualties that we find out about come training camp in late August. Before I let you go, OTAs are coming up um, uh, on yes. May 20th, 21st, and 23rd. Yeah. And you'll be allowed to attend on May 23rd. Um, how much are you looking forward to OTAs? Oh, I'm really looking forward to this. I mean, this is the time of year, I think, with the OTAs and training camp. Certainly for us in the media, besides the games themselves, this is the most access that we get. You know, being able to go out and watch these full practices, that doesn't happen for us even during, you know, the regular season right. where we're only allowed to take attendance and stuff like that. So this is certainly as much access and as much kind of uh, ability to watch some of these guys, some of these new guys, certainly in some of these roster battles. You know, the receiver position is certainly going to be fascinating. The cornerback position, some of these deeper positions on the roster. Who plays who? How are things looking? You know, how's Nikhil Harry looking? I think is going to be very big. But also, you know, you want to keep in mind that this is OTAs and you kind of don't want to take too much, uh, you know, into account until we really get the pads on in training camp. But overall, this is going to be a, a fascinating. The other guy really uh, quickly that I'm, you know, really looking forward to watching is Jared Stidham because from everything that I hear, you know, the about perfect him, spiral. Yeah, the ball just kind of pops off this guy's hand. Like you see it, and when you see in something like that, as much as you can study it on tape, and I'm not one of these guys that's like you got to see them in person, yada yada yada. But it's different with a quarterback throwing the football when you see it live and you see it in person versus when you see it on tape. You certainly can scout a guy and and see, okay, this guy's got a great arm. Everybody knows that Patrick Mahomes has a great arm, but you can attest to tracks when you see that live. It's a whole different ball game. Like, you're like, this guy can really throw the football. And from everything that you hear, it's not quite Patrick Mahomes level, but there's a, there, he has a very, very good arm and a very live arm in practice. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that goes, him versus Danny Etling, even him versus Brian Hoyer. I think you're going to see a very big difference in arm strength between those two guys, Etling and Hoyer, and Stidham. And the thing that I uh, really judge a quarterback on is not necessarily the arm strength, but how does he fit the ball in tight windows? And you really don't see that until yeah. scrimmages and games, really, to be to be quite honest about it. But look, I mean, if he's throwing a great ball in practice, it's something you know that he's certainly going to be one of those guys that I think is going to a wow. lot of people are going to be yeah. like, this guy can in shorts and a t-shirt, this guy is slinging it. And then we'll see what happens when you know live contact starts and he starts you know having to play against real defenses. I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Thank our great guest Evan Lazar and obviously our sponsor Robin Hood. 
you can and should be following Evan at uh, on Twitter at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. For producer Mike Alonji and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, this is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriot Speed Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media Podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcast or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.